This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello there and welcome to episode 40 of this, the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne. Thank you for the feedback on the Peter Taylor episode. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I certainly enjoyed sitting down with him. It is still available to listen to. Just search threelionspodcast.com or your usual podcast provider. You'll find it there. And if you saw from the recent Twitter Facebook feeds, I am still pushing for more opportunities to talk with people. It'll come. We'll get some more very soon. Fingers crossed. Anyway, it is good to be back with you. Makes a welcome change to trying to install my kitchen, which frankly isn't a job I'm enjoying or I'm any good at. No games to preview or review this time, as the next senior game we now know will be the 22nd of March. But since the end of November, many of our sides have learnt their opposition's for tournaments next year. That's right, it's been draw season. We'll be looking at those in detail with friends of the show, CJ Joyner and Rich Laverty, and we're also joined by Portugal correspondent Tom Kundert, who gives us a guide to the Porto region of Portugal in anticipation of next June. Now, first of all, the under-21s draw for the European Championships taking place in Italy and San Marino next year took place on the 23rd of November in Bologna in Italy. Aidy Boothroy's boys were one of the top seeds and were pulled out in Group C alongside France, Romania and Croatia. Now, the tournament takes place between the 16th to the 30th of June. The 12 teams in the tournament which will take place in six stadiums across northern Italy and San Marino. England's games look to be scheduled for the 18th, 21st and 24th of June. Current holders are Germany. And looking at their senior side, I imagine they could do with some fresh faces. And the under-21s is where I imagine they'll be appearing from. But we wish A.D. Boothroyd's boys... All the very best with that tournament and one we will be looking at next year, along with many others. So Sunday the 2nd of December in Dublin, the European Championships draws was made. In the following day, Monday the 3rd, also in Dublin, was the nation's league draw, which, on the face of it, seemed like a big jolly boys weekend for the UEFA Blazers. But they couldn't draw on the same day as beyond me. I've no idea. Anyway, here to look at them both is an England fan who I believe only missed one ninety minutes of England football this year. CJ. Hello, Russell. You all right? Yeah, all good. How are you? Not too bad. Did I get that right? Did I read that you'd only missed one game all year? 90, minute, 90 minutes in four years. Or a, uh, in four years? And it's all down to a, um, a 
<laughs> well, we we won't we won't speak about what you'd like to call that gr- that groundsman in Croatia. Um, yeah, you know, <laughs> maybe is you that for not dealing it with a better foot. Is that who you're solely pointing the blame at, the groundsman? Yeah, and UEFA because they should have just played the game somewhere else, shouldn't they? So. They should have. Yeah, they should have. So the draws on on Sunday and Monday. Let's start with the the Euro twenty twenty draw. I, part of me actually, I'm sitting there, I'm watching it. And I'm thinking, do the likes of Germany and France sit there watching the draws like we do? Or is it because we have sort of like the FA Cup, the drama of the FA Cup draws, rounds one, two and three, that we're kind of looking at it like that? Or, or do you reckon that like the Maltese were jumping around, that they got trips to Spain, Sweden and the Faroes? Well, firstly, when it comes to the FA Cup draw and any other cup, to be honest, um, as a Coventry fan this year, I don't even—I didn't even know there was more than one round. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I touchy subject. Sorry, I was completely unaware that it, you know. I thought there were all competitions only had one game in. You know, it's just <laughs> yeah. So when it comes to the Euros draw, I don't—I don't know to be honest. I, it would be quite interesting, wouldn't it, just to have a look? Um, See if they get as excited as we do. Or is it yeah. just me that gets excited? Oh, no, everyone gets excited about it, yeah. don't they? You know, immediately you get on Skyscanner or Airbnb and, and what have you and book your flights. I mean, obviously, no other country travels like us, maybe apart from Scotland, Ireland maybe, but the Dutch, they they normally travel. That might have some impact on it, actually, how many how, how many people actually enjoy watching the draws from the other, um, from the other nations, because how many of them actually travel to watch the team play away it's probably not as many nowhere near as many as what we do yeah that's true yeah good points so before we before we rattle through who we've got i'm sure everyone knows by now who we've got who we are immediately hoping for anything like the four we've got especially with having portugal as well which is obviously for most people that's going to be a completely new a new country to visit for football following england anyway I don't think we've played there since the Euros, have we? In twenty two thousand four, yeah, possibly, possibly. I don't, I don't think we have. So, you know, that to me, that four good teams out. I, I wouldn't wish to have four better places to go. Really, obviously, they're all very Southern European ish. You've got Czech Republic, which is obviously around Germany level, really, yeah. isn't it? It's around mid, you know, Central Europe, but. You, there's no real cold places to go. No, on the no, whole, we were we were fortunate know. that we didn't get pulled into that. Yeah, what do they call it? The winter games, yeah. something like that. We were fortunate that we weren't affected by that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, as a, as I said, we, it could well get very cold in Kosovo in November, or yeah. it could be cold in Montenegro in March. I don't, you know, Czech Republic and Bulgaria. I don't I think it'd be okay in um, in what October? But let's be honest. It could have been a hell of a lot worse, couldn't it? We could have been going. I mean, Lithuania. What the first time we went when we went in October the first time, that was so cold. You know, I don't really want to experience that again at a football match. Obviously, we wouldn't have been playing them in November due to the um, the weather or, or you know the restrictions they put on that. But still, you know, it, it is nice to get to get teams that are probably a similar sort of climate to us. Bulgaria is obviously going to be warmer in the summer, but all four of those are pretty similar to us. Yeah, I mean, we've got Bulgaria in, it'll be October away. Yeah. Then, so, so. so that'll be okay. As you've touched on there, we've, we've got the Czech Republic, we've got bon- Bulgaria, Montenegro, and then Kosovo. We were drawn out first, weren't we? Group A, which was quite exciting in itself. I don't remember being in, in a Group A for a long time. 
No. Well, it's got, I mean, little things like that quite excite me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe that just should mean we just win it, you know. Yeah, just give it to us. So that, yeah, we just get given the... Given it, you know, that's probably the best way of doing it, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I'm happy. I'm happy if you're happy. It'd be a lot um, cheaper, wouldn't it? It's... It would be, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, go on, let's, so we're going to be playing uh, Czech Republic in March. They're all pretty much like double headers, aren't they? So we've got Czech Republic at home. Then we go to Montenegro, which is likely to be played in Podgorica, which is the last. We played them four times. And we we played them uh, in Podgorica twice. Last time back in 2013. That's quite an intimidating little place, that one, from what I remember. I didn't go myself to that one, actually, but I've, I've got to say um, I've heard nothing but um, intimidating things from everyone that's gone. It was something about fans going on the pitch and, you know, telling the uh, telling the players what they thought of them or that yeah. might have been outside the ground or something something along those lines. But I think it was more towards the, the players themselves rather than... Um, I remember I only went to the second game, uh, the second away game there, that one end was, it was covered at one end, I believe. Our end was was open, but there were a lot of flares down one side, uh, was covered, like the touchline side uh, where the the dugouts were. But then I believe the other side, that was all open um, with, with probably about half a dozen steps. It was really um, like on top of, on top of the pitch, on top of the players, but there were a lot of flares. I remember there; they they made some good noise. Anything I remember about Podgorica, it was a small city, no trams, uh, no metro un- network. Um, it was like you could walk around the whole place in in half a day. Well, it's one of these places you just wouldn't go to, would you? Unless no. you, unless you went for a football match, and you know that's something. That's some. That's probably the best thing about following England really is after the people it's it's going to these places like I mean you know who would have ever thought that Ljubljana would be somewhere that everyone would want to go to but after going there that first time I was really looking forward to going there the second time it's just these places you you just wouldn't go to so and then the next double header is in we've got a big break we play obviously because of the Nations League so we play those first two games in March then we a big jump to September where we've got two home games Bulgaria and Kosovo and I'm thinking are we going to play Kosovo at home oh well, sorry Kosovo at Wembley would they bring enough to or would that be a game to go on the road well it's it was part of the conversation I had with some of my mates on um, Sunday after the draw happened. Mm. We were we were all saying, "How are the FA going to fill the ground for the for these yeah. games?" Czech Republic would probably be okay because I mean they've got a reasonable name and they've got yeah. a little bit of a dr- pull in, haven't they? Where people are thinking, oh, I remember them. You know, they had some good players. Obviously, they don't play for them anymore. But but the um, the other three the other three teams. They haven't really had a rich vein of history in, in the last sort of 15, 20 years. They haven't had really major names play for them. So, no. uh, I mean, Bulgaria's got, obviously it's got one one in particular. But, but yeah, the other two, I've, yeah, I, I think you're going to be looking at sixty to 70,000 crowds there as a maximum. So why not take them on the road, take them elsewhere? We have another game at Anfield. We're, I mean, it, we were on the road, weren't we? Yeah, that's happened. So let let's go there and let's go to say you know let's go to the northeast. I mean Kosovo. Let's take it down. Let's take it down to Bristol. You know, let's go somewhere like that. Well, we shall see. Maybe will we have any friendlies next year? I mean, because obviously no, we're not going to have any friendlies next year. So it would be if friendlies recently have been taken on the road. You'd think, well, this is an opportunity to take a couple of couple of qualifiers on the road. Anyway, we shall see. 
So the next double header is in October, and this is the one where there's two away ones. We're going to the Czech Republic on the 11th of October and then down south to Bulgaria on the 14th of October. So it's looking like Prague and Sofia, I would imagine. Yeah, Bulgaria will be one that um, it'll, pr- it'll probably be our most attended away game, won't it, because of the size of the stadium. I think it was yeah. like 44,000. So I'm guessing it's still 5% as the minimum. So you're talking what 2200 as as a minimum yeah it might be increased a bit more than that because i don't know whether bulgaria could sell 42000 tickets i don't I, I don't know whether they could do that i mean obviously we are a big draw but whether they can sell 40 plus i, I very much doubt it so that's going to be our biggest attended game next year away am i right in saying they've this sort of got a that is that's an old military stadium i think isn't it I'm not sure. I haven't read too much about it apart from where it is and the size, to be honest. So, yeah. yeah. Czech Republic, I mean, that's everyone's saying, oh, Prague, it's going to be great. I can't help thinking that it's not going to be there. I mean, but obviously things might change tomorrow, day after day after that. You know, they, they, may, they may announce it, but I just think because of the behaviour, in Dortmund and, and also in Amsterdam and, and so on, I can't, I, could, I would imagine that the mayor of Prague would have been on the phone to the Czech FA saying, "Come on, <laughs> have it somewhere <laughs> before else you, before you make that before you make that decision. At least don't put it on a Friday or a, Friday, Saturday or Sunday. You know, <laughs> um, oh, yeah. it is a Friday, isn't it? Friday yeah, the eleventh, exactly. So I I reckon that that could be neither Bruno or Pleasant. If it is, it's going to be less attractive to the Czechs to go to. True. I, I suppose." The stadiums are smaller. They're, they both hold 13,000. But the one in Prague, to be fair, only holds 20. So I think the ticket situation there, we're going to get a maximum of around 1,000 1, tickets, I think. They're going to reduce that too. I, I can't. I just can't see, like I said, the mayor of Prague appreciating us lot all turning up and uh, you know, a small proportion of us behaving like we can do. So, yeah, if it, if it is in Pleasant or if it is in uh, Bruno, I've been to Bruno relatively pleasant place to go actually okay um it's it's quite a nice it's quite a nice place quite sleepy to be fair it's 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 worth a visit but again it's one of these places you just wouldn't go to unless there was an event there or something like that true so yeah with that one we'll just have to wait and see where that's being played yeah another one to watch this space then we're into november Thursday, the 14th of November, we're at Wembley. We, we assume we are for Montenegro. And then the one that probably is going to get a lot of interest is Kosovo away on the 17th of November, which I, I know next to nothing about Kosovo. I'm assuming that the game is going to be played in Pristina. Yeah, I mean, it has been. So, there was a rumour that they may move it further afield but I don't think they will I mean at Kosovo the, the ground holds about 13,000 which is a lot bigger than what I was expecting yeah it is a lot bigger but saying that Montenegro where, where we are in March I, I thought that was a lot bigger than it was I thought you were talking you know the size that it is in Malta kind of 18 20,000 but it's oh, no. not that's actually, the, that's actually the smallest stadium that we're going to play at with 11,000 so Kosovo again the, alloca- the allocation is going to be quite slim i would say you know five six hundred tickets top maybe five six cappers something like that they're, they're going to be in that 70 percent, and anything below that is just going to be in the 30 percent mm. don't know anything like you russ i don't know a lot about the country 
it's it's one of the places that I've been we've said a few times what you know in the last two years since they've been playing competitive games really like to go there yeah and I do think they are in a false position I think that I think they were anyway when they were in the bottom group well they had to start from somewhere didn't they they had to yeah obviously they're not going to be stuck putting pot two or pot three no but there has been quite a good, you know, good few players come from the um, that sort of area around the uh, former Yugoslav countries. Yeah, I, I would say they're going to be bouncing. If if you use a Nations League as a guide, I'd say they're going to be bouncing between Division Two, well, the second tier and the third tier for the next few Nations Leagues. I think they're going to be in and around that area. So they have got a few players that play. Um, I think they've got three or four that play in the Bundesliga and okay. one, or, one or two that play elsewhere. Uh, no doubt we're going to find out a lot more about them as the uh, as the tournament or as the qualifying goes on and people are going to be investigating what Kosovo is like and, and we'll be reading about it, I'm sure. So the next day, Robbie Keane was back in back in his suit, wasn't he? Back in the Dublin Convention Centre or, or whatever it was for the Nations League semi-final draw. It was going to be either... Well, we had three options as to who we were going to play, wasn't it? It was either going to be Portugal, it was either going to be Switzerland, or it was going to be Holland. And on, I hoped for Switzerland. I got to be honest, I didn't really want Portugal as as a home team. Holland, I'd with I'd seen them. Well, I've seen both Holland and Switzerland in the last year, uh, but I just thought Switzerland would be the the easier of the two if we were going to progress. I may be wrong, but uh, Holland, it was. If we were playing elsewhere, I'd say Portugal and. Switzerland are not that far apart in terms of quality. You could probably say that, on the whole, Switzerland are probably a better team overall. But with that home support and you know playing on home ground, uh, yeah. you know in their home stadiums or whatever, you've we have probably got the best, the better end of the draw. Especially considering what's happened with Holland in the last few months, where they've gone from virtual no hopers, and I mean. That 1-0 in, in Amsterdam, I mean, if we really wanted to, we could have scored another three or four on top of that. But, yeah, but I, they think almost, I think Southgate felt a bit sorry for them, to be honest. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think we have got the better, better. We have definitely got the better end of the draw there. So that game is going to be played in... See, I, I'm not sure how to pronounce this place yet. Is it Guimarães? I think it's Guimarães, isn't it? Guimarães, OK. I'm- so, yeah, that's on Thursday, the 6th of June. That's the first semi-final. Portugal against Switzerland is the day before. And then the final, or and the, the third and fourth place, I guess we should also mention that, is going to be played on the Sunday the 9th. So we will have a game on Sunday the 9th, be it in the, in the afternoon, I guess, or in the evening. What I do think would be interesting is if both us and Switzerland win our semis. <laughs> And how many people are going to turn up to watch us play Switzerland in Porto? That's something for me. I don't know. I, I haven't actually read up myself on t- to see what they're going to do there. I mean, let's say for example, Switzerland might bring three, probably two or three thousand. We might have five, six thousand. I mean, remember, I think we only had about ten or twelve thousand after the World Cup semi-final. Yeah. So I can't see there being anywhere near that for this. So the ground's going to be what. There's going to be locals in there as well. The tickets ain't going to be that expensive. They aren't for the European Championships, so I very much no. doubt they will be for this. It, it'll be interesting if we play Switzerland in that Porto Stadium, how many people will actually turn up. I, I think hadn't really thought of that, yeah. Less than probably 20,000. So 
the ideal final for them is Portugal against us or Holland. Isn't yeah. It? So, yeah. You know, uh, that, that's what the, that's the ideal final for them. So, so at the time of us speaking, there's UEFA have said nothing with regards to tickets and, and how much they are and when they go on sale and what what the whole procedure is. So we're, we're kind of in the unknown on that. But I imagine it will happen. I don't know, there'll be some sort of application process, I would imagine, similar to the, the Euros and a World Cup procedure. Yeah. So as a supporter who hasn't missed a game in, or has missed one game in four years, give us some tips as to how how do you go about your booking of flights? Do you do it straight away? Do you hold fire for a little while, your accommodation? Give, give us a couple of tips on, on what you do. Depending on where it is. For example, mm. if it's in somewhere like Spain, when we played in Alicante, what, three years ago? Yeah. Spain, we flew into Madrid. We only booked it about a month, maybe six weeks before. We flew into Madrid, even though we knew it was going to be in Alicante. We jumped, we jumped on the Alsa bus. We knew there was trains. Alsa is like their National Express. So somewhere like there, Germany, France, which is all pretty well connected, even though they're big countries, it doesn't really matter where you fly into. If you, if you get a cheap deal into somewhere, you know, or you could just, you know, there's so many different options to get to different places, you know, coach, train, even hire, hire a car or what have you, if there's a few of you. When it comes to smaller countries like Kosovo, for example, there's one airport, I believe, in in Pristina. Yeah. And the other issue is, I believe you can't actually enter it through Serbia. So um, right. that's that's obviously a restriction. We saw that in the um, in the in the World Cup in the summer, where people were trying to get over the border from Poland into Kaliningrad, trying to get over that border on foot. You just can't do it. You have to physically be in a commercial vehicle. There's always these little things to think about. I personally just go go on Skyscanner. A lot of the time, I do United Kingdom to anywhere, right, and then see see where that links to. So. Germany is always a good one. There's normally loads of flights out, you know, out of Cologne. If Berlin's another main major hub where you can you can go to. So you just pick the major hubs and you think, okay, right. Like for example, earlier on, w- w- I think for Montenegro flying via Mimogen, and Skyscanner hadn't linked the flight. Where's Mimogen? In Germany, I think it's oh. Mimogen, something like that. So no. we're flying into there. So I think it's about ten quid to fly into there. And then it's about 14 quid, I think, to fly from there to, to Montenegro, where I'm re- the next, this is the next day. Yeah. So, and then you've got a, a night in a German city that you wouldn't have gone to otherwise. So, you know, even with an hotel, you t- you're still talking less than sort of 50 or 60 quid for, you know, one way. That's what we're doing for that. Skyscanner doesn't necessarily show them up. Expedia doesn't show them up. And with regards to accommodation, a lot of people swear by Booking.com. Booking.com is great for the, the free cancellation and you don't have to pay till you get there or till a, a week or two before you leave. It, it, you know, it, it takes it automatically off your card. I've been doing a lot of Airbnbs recently. We, we did Airbnb throughout the whole World Cup. We did it in Seville and we're going to be doing that in Portugal next year. We haven't looked for Montenegro yet, but I mean, it might end up being Booking, to be honest, for that. On the whole... Airbnb does tend to be the better deal. You get more for your money. You might you might spend around the same and you have to pay up front for it. But a lot of them do offer free cancellation. So if you have to pay up front but then you get the money back if you if you, if you don't if you choose not to use it in the end. 
So it just depends what your budget is at the time of booking, really. That that's that's the best advice I can say to anybody. It's just the three key the current three key sites, Skyscanner first and foremost, then probably Airbnb if you've got the budget to do it originally, and then booking.com afterwards if you need it. There we go. I reckon we are we can make a feature out of this, CJ's tips, something like that. Well, that's probably it'd be the same every single time, to be honest. Yeah. So, um, yeah. <laughs> we shall. Uh, I'll be looking at some of those as I uh, as I sort out my trips for next year. Thank you for that. Let's speak again soon. No problem. Nice one. Cheers, CJ. Cheers. Now, I'd like to welcome Portugal's world soccer correspondent. We're speaking all the way to Lisbon. It's Tom Kundert. Hello, Tom. Hi there, Russell. How are you doing? Not too bad, thank you. Thank you for uh, being part of the Three Lions podcast. No problem. Thanks for inviting me. You're more than welcome. I, I like to think we may be speaking more next year. Yeah. But so far, England have only got Holland and we may be facing Portugal in a potential final. You're over in Lisbon. Uh, you're English over in Lisbon, is that correct? Yep, I'm actually half English, half Portuguese. My mother was Portuguese, but I'm born and bred in England, in central England, but been living in Portugal for the last 24 years, so half and half. Very nice, and, and having been to Lisbon myself, I'd say uh, it's a wonderful part of the world to be in. But, yeah, I can't complain. <laughs> but I was gonna. I was hoping to speak to you if you could give us a little insight into the Porto region. Uh, obviously, England are going to be playing in. Now you're going to have to help me with the pronunciation of this. Is how do you pronounce the, uh, yeah. the this place? It's not, it's not so easy. Guimarães. Guimarães. Uh, Guimarães. That's right. Yeah, it's about forty or fifty kilometers north of Porto. Very nice city, yeah, and that's a very nice region of Portugal. I see. Who's the the club? Is the the club that play there? Are they high up in the in the Portuguese league? Yeah, they're doing pretty well. It's a very interesting club, actually. It's called Vitória de Guimarães, and they're probably outside the big three, which is of course uh, Benfica, Porto, and Sporting. Outside the big three, they're one of the biggest clubs for sure and probably the club with the most fanatical fans they've got fantastic fan base they always get 20,000 if they're doing well even can go above that which by Portuguese standards is you know is quite a big crowd I have to remember of course that the whole population of Portugal is only 10 million so one-fifth of England yeah and so that's a very they're really enthusiastic really fanatical and yeah, nice stadium there. The stadium was uh, done up for Euro 2004 when Portugal hosted the European Championships. And uh, that was one of the stadiums which was used. And then, of course, the other one would be the Estadio de Dragão, which is Porto Stadium in Porto. So, yeah, two fantastic stadiums. But like I say, that whole region, if uh, England fans are coming over for a few days, you know, it's if they're coming over in hopeful, well, actually, it doesn't matter, does it? Even if, if whoever loses those semi-finals, they're going to be playing two matches because there's a third-place uh, playoff. That's right. Yeah, so I, I guess people will be coming over for you know probably around a week or four or five days. So if I was them, I would recommend either hiring a car or just uh, you know planning it well to see as much as you can, as well as the football. Uh, take advantage to you know have a look at a, a beautiful part of Portugal. 
What are the links between Porto and Guimarães? Oh, how do you mean links? Sorry, sorry, transport links. Transport links. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's very easy. It's just, a, I suppose, the easiest way is just to travel by train. I think it's about an hour uh, on the train and it's got quite a few stops on the way. So, like I say, it's not even that far. I think maybe 40, 50 kilometres. Yeah, so that's quite an easy way to get from one city to the other. You could, if anyone fancies hiring a car, it's very easy. You know, just at the motorway, maybe half an hour, 40 minutes at the most. You can get from one place to the other. Obviously, Lisbon, you're in Lisbon, a little further south. People are likely to be going into Lisbon and maybe even into, I guess, Faro and and tying it in with a little holiday down in the Algarve region. What what are links, transport links from there, like to Porto? Are they pretty good? Yeah, pretty good. Again, the train, you know, you've got a train going all the way from if you did a whole trip it's quite it's quite a lengthy trip you know if someone does that then uh, they're probably going to lose a day of their holiday just traveling because uh, from Faro up to Porto that's probably if you're in the car you're talking about probably six hours five or six hours trip you know without without stopping much in the train more or less the same maybe yeah five or six hours can actually get uh, they've got domestic flights which you know and quite cheap domestic flights i think right maybe maybe if you um you know if you put them in advance that's uh, if someone really wants to splash out a bit or really wants to see the algarve yeah the, that would probably be the best solution two or three days in the algarve and then get a flight up to the north i see and you said about seeing the sites up in that porto region what's what's there that that you'd recommend going to see yeah, well, there's the, the two cities, really. They're, they're, you know, they've got a lot to see in both cities. Gimaranj, very historic city. It's actually a, uh, it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. You know, if anyone's interested in architecture, especially in history, you've got some really beautiful buildings there. And it's a very historic city in Portugal because it's actually the cradle of Portugal. Uh, the first king there, Don Alfonso Henriques, which is what the football stadium is named after. You know, he was the, the first king of Portugal and he created the country. And it's got a few years ago, it was the cultural capital of Europe. And uh, like I say, lots of, uh, you know, really both very typical Portuguese architecture in the houses, very historic buildings, uh, you know, got a nice castle there. Got a, Also, they've got a cable car. It's kind of in a valley, Gimarange, and it's surrounded by mountains. And it's, it's a fantastic trip if, as long as you're not scared of heights. <laughs> I, might, I might count that one out. <laughs> Going up to the cable car, which uh, it takes you up to a mountain, you know, overlooking the whole city. You just get a fantastic view of the city and all the surrounding landscape. So that's what I'd recommend, you know, a few things to do in Gimarães. As for Porto, it's, uh, it's won quite a few awards recently, European awards and worldwide awards as a tourist destination. It's really kind of taken off. In that, in that regards. And so, uh, yeah, lo- loads to do there. Of course, it's famous for port wine. Well, just port, you call it in England, don't you? Yeah. So uh, lots of people will, uh, you know, if, if that's your tipple, there's loads of opportunities to go to the, you know, wine, uh, the winemaking uh, cellars just by the river there, the River Douro. You know, you can, they, you can have a, a little tour around these companies and they give you a kind of wine tasting session. Also, if someone's just staying in the north, one thing I'd recommend if they have time is uh, taking a trip down the River Douro, which is a, you know, a really uh, a beautiful river. You get fantastic landscapes. Just can either take a day trip 
or just a few hours, I think a half day, a full day, or maybe even a couple of days. And that's a, you know, a fantastic trip because that's, again, I think even that's a World Heritage Site because you see the valleys on both sides, which have got vineyards going right, right away up the mountains, quite spectacular scenery. And it's where, of course, the world famous uh, port wine, that's where the grapes come from. So plenty to do, plenty to do if you're going to Porto and Guimarães. It sounds sounds good. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it already. What about on the the football front? Obviously, it's a four team tournament with with Portugal, Switzerland, ourselves, and Holland. How how are people of Portugal taking to this tournament and and the fact that they'll be hosting it? Yeah, I think I think it's well. Maybe you can tell me this, but I think it's a kind of general feeling which I've I've noticed and reading things around Europe, which was. People, you know, were a little bit uh, kind of wary of this tournament, thinking, oh, you know, yet more football and didn't really know what to expect from it. But it's really been a fantastic success here in Portugal. And personally speaking, I just think it's been a brilliant idea. You know, those horrible, meaningless friendlies, which nobody even really bothered, (laughs) bothered even watching or took any interest in. You know, instead of those, you've got competitive football and you can see you know we're talking about professional footballers you can see the prides there and they you know some of those matches I mean the Portugal Italy game both of those games are really fantastic games Portugal Poland especially the game in Poland that was a brilliant game Portugal played really well and you know some of the other games I caught the England Croatia uh, highlights the Spain Croatia game you know and you saw the reaction from the players and the and you know the Belgium Switzerland game uh, there's just no end of them wasn't there the, the Netherlands Germany games there was brilliant games all over Europe so I think people have really taken to this tournament of course it does help that Portugal did very well uh, especially after a pretty disappointing World Cup and uh, of course they did it without Ronaldo which is also a bonus and uh, yeah and people are very excited about hosting it uh, I mentioned a little bit earlier Euro 2004 it was a really fantastic occasion in Portugal because Portugal is just a soccer crazy nation and uh, the whole country just really got behind that and that was a really memorable occasion on the football front and in general just for Portugal I think a really important month in, in kind of the contemporary history of Portugal that was and you know people are looking forward to this obviously it's not the same scale like you said just a small mm-hmm. tournament but yeah. I think people are looking forward to it especially because Portugal of course have probably I'd say possibly their most historical opponent uh, over the years in tournament play is precisely England and so yeah. like you said uh, if the two meet in, in the final hopefully that will be uh, some occasion. Yeah I think it would really would be and I think it's safe to say that UEFA have got this tournament spot on with just general interest and um, the excitement that is generated uh, and hopefully that will go on to next summer where we can have a uh, just some four games of all-round good football tell us about yeah. portugal.net which is your website yeah well it's all about portuguese football as the name suggests kind of a play of words between the country and and football and it's just it's been going for about 15 years now and it just describes or reports on all things Portuguese football. So that's the domestic game here in Portugal, Portuguese players and managers and coaches abroad. And there are a lot of them now, a lot of them doing very well. So that's also uh, one area of 
big interest in the site. And then, of course, the, the national team and all the national teams. Uh, you were just saying earlier, I think before we started, how you you try to cover all the national teams, you know, all age levels. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we try and do that more or less here in uh, Portugal, you know, because there it's perhaps the content is very interesting. You know, you've got Cristiano Ronaldo, you've got players like Bernardo Silva, you've got coaches like uh, Jose Mourinho, then you've got uh, Benfica and and Porto and Sporting, who quite often make a bit of a splash in a European competition. But without doubt, all the content that has the, which generates the most interest and the most discussion and the most comments is the Portuguese national football team. Because uh, I think one reason for that also is because it's a kind of golden age. Well, not even a kind of, we can't really, this is a golden age for Portuguese football in terms of their national football team in the last uh, haven't missed a tournament since 2000 that's uh, in those 10 tournaments they've got to the semi-final or the final in five of them and that's that's just talking about European Championships and World Cups uh, and of course they are the current European champions and so you know they'll certainly be hoping that they will carry on that run next summer and you know we'll definitely be uh, reporting on it uh, from the from the matches and on portugal.net so anyone interested in portuguese football just plug that into google and it should take you to the site well portugal. i'll be uh, <laughs> net. i'll be more than happy to uh put a link to that from our twitter and our facebook pages and and if anyone would like to to speak directly with you on twitter are you open to that yeah sure yeah that's uh again it's portugal one uh, twitter handle which is p-o-r-t-u-g-o-a-l one the number one so yeah also that twitter feed has all the links to to the articles on portugal and any other stuff which you know it may be of interest to portuguese football fans i'm sure it will be i'm sure there are there are many over here who uh, who may listen and we will point them in your direction tom thank you very much for uh, for joining us on the free lines podcast maybe uh, we can hook up again next year if if we happen to meet in that final. Sure, yeah, look forward to it. I, uh, the, you know, Like I say, I think that would be a fantastic occasion if it happened. Yeah, let's hope so. Let's keep our fingers crossed. Tom, thank you very much. Okay, no problem. Thank you. Thursday, the 6th of December, saw two draws. See, it can be done in the same day. Firstly, for the under-19s. They made it through to the elite qualifying round after Keith Downing's boys had beaten Moldova, Finland. They lost to Turkey, though, to get there. Once that draw was made, the aim is then to make it to the Euro finals in Armenia next July. Now, England were drawn against Greece, the Czech Republic and Denmark in Group 2. And we will, in fact, host that group somewhere in England. And games, they will likely to be played between the 20th and the 26th of March. Then later in the day, the under-17s draw for the Euro finals to be played in the Republic of Ireland next May took place. Like the under-19s, there is an elite qualifying round to get past. England, though, we were given a bye to there so have been drawn against Denmark, Croatia and Switzerland. And these will all be played in Denmark 
between the 21st and 27th of March. And finally, on the 8th of December, the draw for next year's Women's World Cup in France was made. In Paris, Phil Neville's ladies were drawn against Scotland, Argentina and Japan in Group D. And with all the draws made recently, we can finally talk to someone who was actually at the draw ceremony. I'd like to welcome back to the podcast, Rich Laverty, to tell us all about it. Rich? Yeah, thanks for having me back on. Yeah, it was a good night. It was interesting. It's thrown up an interesting draw. It's going to be a, an interesting summer. We were all kind of chatting before the draw about, you know, do we want something tasty or do we want something easy? And I think we've got something tasty, certainly. I don't think it's easy by any means. So, uh, But you know what people say, you have, to, you have to beat the best to win major tournaments, whether it's at any stage. So, I mean, England are going to be tested in this group. There's absolutely... No doubt about that in terms of travel, in terms of logistics, in terms of the actual opponents that they're going to play as well. But this is a World Cup, you know, women's football is always improving, teams are getting better and there are very few easy games now. Now, obviously, Scotland, we played them, we beat them 6-0 in a, was that a tournament earlier on this year? No, it was um, the European Championships last year. After so, yeah, it was 6-0, but... Scotland had a few key players missing, you know, Kim Little in particular, who is at Arsenal. She's having a fantastic season. She was a huge miss. And they had a few other players missing as well. They had a couple of defenders missing. So it'll be a really tough test. I, I, I certainly don't think it'll be 6 0 again. They actually played the USA last month, who were the number one team in the world, and they only lost 1 0. They could have got something out of that as well. So in terms of the team from the third pot, which was Scotland, probably was about as tough as it could have got, to be honest. Um, they will not be a team at the moment to take lightly. Okay, well, they are the team that we kick off against. The 9th of June, uh, down in Nice, which is, as I later found out, is the same day as the Nations League final, which could yeah. be interesting. It'll, the game, I guess, will either clash with a third or fourth place or it will be a a prelude to the final that day. So it could be could be a very interesting day for England. It could, yeah. I hope it doesn't clash, you know. I know. We always talk about women's football coming second. and If it clashes with, you know, a, a massive game between two of the British teams in a World Cup opener, it'd be such a shame because, you know, the Nations League game would, you know, would take all the attention. So if it can act as a prelude to it, that would be fantastic. It would be a brilliant day. I think it's a Sunday afternoon. So, you know, everyone can go out, have a drink, have a barbecue, hopefully, and watch both the games rather than you know having to pick one or the other so we'll, we'll see what happens I think the England-Scotland game is five o'clock UK time I'm not sure what time the Nations League finals are at so but of course we're not in that yet so we've got to see what happens that's true uh, and then we follow it up you say against Argentina now you said about the travelling because that game is in La Havre which is that's in north north west is that it's basically on the northern northern coast, so yeah, it's, it's south coast to north coast, and then we're back in Nice again for the third game, so it's tricky. I mean, you can fly from Nice to Paris, and I think it's a quick train from Paris up to Le Havre, 
and then obviously doing the same again going back. It's not ideal, but you know, France is a big country, you have to expect it. It was I wasn't there, but it would have been the same, if not worse, in Canada four years ago. I think it's probably just a bit of a, a culture shock to those of us who were in the Netherlands last year that could yeah. you could get there in, you know, an hour, an hour and a half, um, just by the train. So yeah, it's one of those things, it's not ideal, but the other two games we've got are Argentina and Japan. Um, Japan are, are quite a high-standard team, I believe. What about Argentina? Argentina don't have the standing in women's football that they do in the men's. Obviously, we've got that rivalry, but there's not really a rivalry in the women's game. We have played them before, actually, at a World Cup. Um, we beat them 6-1. They're, they're, they're better now. You know, They've got a couple of players that hardcore women's football fans would know. There's nobody really there that a casual fan. Um, would know. They are the pot four team. You know, they're one of the lower ranked sides. Personally, I never liked playing South American teams because they play with that intensity. They play with that passion. You know, it's completely all energy, you know, all out, give it everything. And it's tough, but, you know, England should be beating anybody. Any of the pot one team should be beating any of the pot four teams, realistically. And then, yeah, it's Japan. Again, similar to Scotland, probably the toughest team we could have got from the second pot. They've been in the last two World Cup finals and they lost in 2015. They won in 2011. They beat England in the semi-final four years ago. I think everybody, whether you're a women's football fan or not, remembers Laura Bassett's own goal in the last minute, um, the 92nd minute, which, which knocked us out in the semi-finals. We haven't played them since. Um, we will actually play them there friendly in March next year, so we do have a bit of a warm-up, and uh, it'll be interesting now to see how both teams approach that now that they've been drawn together. So it's a massively tough group. You know, Scotland is not a it's not a definite you know game you look at and say we are 100 percent going to win that. Japan certainly isn't. So it's a very tough group, and you know Phil Neville in his first major tournament has got. Probably as tough a group as he could have asked for, to be honest. So did you manage to get to speak to Phil Neville there over in France? Yeah, he, he was pretty positive, actually. I think I've kind of had the feeling with Phil ever since he took over. He's just kind of buzzing to be in the job, you know, because I, I, nobody really expected it. He probably didn't expect it. And, you know, as he said, actually, out of the draw, you know, he never went to a World Cup as a player, so this is a first for him as player or manager and, you know, this time last year he wasn't in the job, he'd never managed and now he's, you know, going to a World Cup managing his country and I think he was just excited, you know he knows that Scotland game is going to be huge he knows the Japan game is going to be huge, I think he's just thriving off the energy that's coming with the World Cup, he wasn't, you know, negative about it, he said, you know, we have to beat the best, we have to expect you know, tough challenges all along the way. No one's ever won a World Cup um, by playing poor teams the whole way through. You have to play the best. I mean, the group is hard. If they can navigate it, if they win the group, they would actually play a third-place team because four of the third-place teams in the group will go through. And that would be, one of them would be in one second-round game, which is obviously ideal if they came second. Even then, it, it's not too bad. They play the winners of Group E, which looks to be either Canada or the Netherlands. Netherlands are a second seed, even though they won the Euros. 
Canada's probably one of the better top seed teams you want to play. They're not the USA, they're not Germany, they're not France. If England come third, then there's all kinds of permutations. But, you know, if we can get through the group, there's definitely potential to progress, whether we come first or second. But, yeah, it's a tough group, but Phil was excited. He wasn't complaining about the, the travel. I think he's quite... I think he's quite up for two games in Nice, really. I mean, it's probably the nicest place, you know, right on the south coast, pretty glamorous, you know. You know, the, you want big occasions. Yeah, you want maybe some easy games, but Scotland will be huge, you know. It's going to be a game that we're going to be talking about from now right until June the 9th. Well, let's hope. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll catch up with you in, in due course to to see how pro- things are progressing along with, with friendlies and, and the like, I'm sure. Now, the other big news with women's football, uh, and especially England, was the, is it Euro 2021? I mean, it was kind of announced a few months ago. To be well, honest. yes. When, when the bids were tendered, it was England, it was Austria, and it was Hungary. And, and Austria and Hungary both pulled out and said, look, we, you know, we can't compete with, with England's bid. And basically all we were waiting for last week was it to be officially confirmed that England had met the criteria, which I think everybody knew they would. Um, and yeah, so the Euros are coming to England in 2021. It'll be a fantastic occasion. You know, hopefully a lot of people who maybe are not interested or are on the cusp of being interested go to some games, you know, the stadiums all around the country, not everywhere. You know, there's a few pockets of spaces that have missed out, but there's a decent spread wherever you live. You know, England's a small country at the end of the day, you know, probably pretty similar to the Netherlands last year. You can get anywhere in a couple of hours. So, yeah, it's great news. It's exciting. And I think we're all, it still probably hasn't sunk in yet that I'll be covering a tournament in my own country, you know, where I can get to a stadium half an hour from my house. So, yeah, it's great. It'll be fantastic and we're all looking forward to it. It feels a long way away right now, but it'll probably come around um, pretty quickly, to be honest. Well, that's that's positive news. Um, but sadly, there was some unfortunate news regarding one of England's current finest players, Jordan Nobbs, wasn't mm. there? So there's some real unfortunate news that she's injured and she's going to be out of that World Cup next year. Yeah, I mean, there's always a few players in there before any World Cup any Euros, whether it's men or women from countries around the world you hear about, you know, I think the last men's World Cup, it was 20, 2014, whenever, when Falcao got ruled out, you know, a few months before and he was in the form of his life and it's sad, but it happens and, you know, Jordan, I, I said on Twitter at the time, it's particularly cruel because she's probably the best, I mean, Jordan's a fantastic player anyway, you know, even her worst form, you know, is better than a lot of other players. But this season, she's been absolutely flying. You know, she was closing in for double figures already by Christmas, you know, which, considering she's a midfielder, um, tells its own story. And it's a strange one because with England, she's never really been used correctly, in my opinion, under whether, whether it was Mark Sampson or now with Phil Neville and, there's a little part of me actually that thinks it actually solves a problem for Phil Neville that I don't think he was solving himself. I mean, you want to have Jordan in the squad, but the way we were kind of using her and Fran Kirby and, and one or two other players 
didn't really have a lot of balance in the team. Players were playing a little bit out of position and, and actually Jordan being out might just force Phil into slightly different thinking with who plays in that position and maybe in a weird way it might actually help the balance of the team. But yeah, I mean, personally for her, it's a huge blow. You know, she'll be gutted and but she'll come back. She's a great player. She's still young. You know, she's got another couple couple of tournaments in her. She'll be back in 2021, I'm sure, to play in front of her home fans. And it's just, yeah, it's one of those. You just, it's sad because of the way she was playing. You know, she was in unbelievable form. And then, you know, the click of her finger, her season's over and she's probably out for the next, you know, 12 months now. Yeah, no, it's, it's unfortunate. Um, and, and we wish her all the best. <laughs> So, friendly-wise, in, in the run-up to the World Cup next year, do we know when, if, if anything's been arranged on that front? Yeah, we've got a few arranged. Um, so, we've got a camp in January. Although Phil has said there's not going to be any games. He is just going to have a camp. I don't know where it's going to be yet. I mean, they've gone out to La Manga the last two Januaries. I don't know whether that's been confirmed, if that's where the camp will be, um, or whether it'll just be in England. Then we go back to the She Believes Cup in February, where we've been for the last few years. It's usually that's been, back in America, isn't it? Yeah, it's usually been England, the USA, France, and Germany. It's changed this year. France and Germany aren't going back, so it's going to be Brazil and Japan alongside the USA. So we're going to be well tested. We played Brazil two months ago um, in Nottingham, and we beat them. They're probably not quite where they should be at the minute. Japan, obviously, now takes on a bit of extra significance because it's a warm-up for the World Cup itself. And then, then the USA, you know, who are, you know, they are the one UAM out there, the number one team in the world. They've won the World Cup. They're the defending champions. Um, so three major tests. After that, nothing's been announced yet. Um, there'll be another couple of international windows, one in April and then one just before the World Cup. In terms of plans, I'm not sure what Phil is thinking at the minute. The April camp comes towards the end of the WSL season when players are tired, you know, fatigue is setting in. You want them to be as fresh as possible for the World Cup. So I don't think we'll be travelling too far for games. I think he'd like to have them here. Ideally, we were meant to play the Netherlands away from home last month. And that didn't happen because Netherlands were in the World Cup playoffs. I don't know whether that might be back on the agenda, but, you know, we'll definitely have a few more warm-up games, I'm sure. Um, And whether he looks at opponents that might prepare him for Argentina. You know, we're playing Brazil, like I said, in February, so maybe that will give him a good idea. We've got Japan themselves, and maybe we'll look at a few European teams, you know, similar to Scotland or... Something like that. But, um, yeah, there'll be a few more, but we've got three definitely set in stone at the minute, um, all that she believes, early next year. And I'd expect probably another two or three after that to take it into the World Cup. I see. Well, we'll as I say, we'll uh, we'll touch base with you to see how that things are panning out on that front. Rich, thank you very much for uh, bringing us up to date on that. Uh, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, I'm sure they know where you are, but if you want to give us a quick reminder... Yeah, I'm on uh, Rich J Laverty on Twitter, so it's pretty easy to remember. Um, it's just my first and second name with an initial stuck in the middle. But yeah, I think um, I think anybody who wants to follow me probably already does. So um, you know, if 
great stuff. Thank you for that. Thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks to CJ Joyner, Tom Kundert, and finally their Rich Laverty for taking us through the Women's World Cup draw. Links to all of them are both on our Twitter and Facebook pages. I'm booked for Portugal and for Montenegro. And worth pointing out that general sale tickets for the home game against the Czech Republic are now on sale. And I see that UEFA have announced some ticketing information for the Nations League now. We are at Three Lions Podcast on Twitter. Search also on Facebook. We're on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud and also at threelionspodcast.com. I would be grateful if you get the chance. Please go on, leave a review, like and subscribe at all the usual places. Now, if I can finish off my kitchen, I hope to be back with you in the next week or so to round off 2018. I hope to catch you then.